0: Stevens, by the way, I'm the lead pastor here at Ascent. And for you guys that are new, we'd love it that you're here. We're starting a new series today, so it's a good time to be here. Um, last week, I want to fill you in a little bit of what happened this last week. I had a chance to share with you an experience that I went through a, a few weeks ago. I got to go down to the Deep South and went through some of the key places that were at the heart of the, the civil rights movement. I got to go to Memphis, Tennessee, and to, to Birmingham, and to Montgomery, and to Selma. And it was a, a life impacting a time for me. And I got to come back and share that with all of you. And part of the reason why I really wanted to share it with all of you is I wanted to share with you why racial justice and racial reconciliation is such an important piece to what we're trying to do as a church. I wanted to share with you that this isn't, this isn't just a response to culture. This is a, a response to the gospel of Jesus. And, it, and it, if, if Jesus cared deeply for it, then we're going to care deeply for it. And so I got to unpack that with you guys this last week. Um, while I did that, I, I talked about uh, the Lord's Prayer and, and what Jesus was saying in the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and it stuck with me before giving that sermon last week. And then it's stuck with me after that. And it's actually kind of filtered into what we're going to talk about today. What I said was when Jesus 2,000 years ago gave us a prayer to pray, you know that he wasn't just throwing out words. These are things that were really important that he knew people would be saying this for centuries to come. And so, man, he's going to say something that has, that packs some meaning. He said, our father who art in heaven so he's saying our father not just not his father but our father every one of us have the same opportunity to have the intimacy with god that jesus has with god our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name consecrated and separated from anything else hallowed be your name thy kingdom come he said not my kingdom even though i love to be king of my kingdom not my kingdom come but your kingdom come and your will be done that we would all grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And then I said these seven words, and this is what has just, has stuck with me since then. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart was, was, was for me, he, he just kept saying, Bill, on earth this thing. That's what I said last week, to on earth this thing. We have got to, to, to do, I mean, think about that, the aspiration in that prayer and what Jesus is saying for all of us, it's not just for heaven someday, but how do we unearth it today? How do we take all that God is talking about and, uh, and, and bring it on earth right now? That we would love the way Jesus loved on earth today. They would reach to the, to the people on the margins on earth today. Because we knew that Jesus did that and you know those folks in the margins are going to be sitting there right next to Jesus in heaven. So we're going to reach the margins today. That we're going to reach for racial reconciliation and racial justice because that's in heaven as every race and every tongue and every tribe are standing together in equality together singing songs of praise to God. Then we're going to do that on this earth because God wants us to unearth this thing, to unearth it as it is in heaven. They would lead with kindness kindness. Because that's the way it's going to be in heaven. We would lead with love and joy and peace because that's the way it's going to be in heaven. And so I, if that has sat with me and, 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 and Jackie and I talked about it. And we, just, we were even saying, what would it look like if for like two months, for just me and Jackie, and I, for, what if for like two months we actually really made a concerted effort to do exactly what God is calling us to do? To unearth this thing. What if for like two months, every single day, we said, "I'm going to unearth it. I'm going to lead with love today." And when I get frustrated with somebody, ah, I gotta, I gotta have uh, patience there, and I'm gonna have gentleness over this person here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna operate with kindness, and and and, and I'm gonna look out for someone, and, and generosity will pour off of me. What if for a couple of months we actually? did do that. Now that's something God's calling us to do for our entire life, but what if we just even committed a couple months to it? So Jack and I were talking about that, but then we said, we said, but you know, you know that there will be opposition to that, that you'll, you'll have that kind of ambition. We'll start with something like that, but you know that you, we'll get bucked off that horse really, really easy, That you'll come down the stairs at the at your you'll wake up in the morning and say I'm gonna unearth this thing today and you go down the stairs and you see that your dog crapped in the living room and you're just going your frustration comes in and you're going and now oh no but that's not gonna that's not gonna derail me and then your middle school kid comes downstairs and they're getting ready to go to school and and. You ask them, now, did you brush your teeth? Did you put some deodorant on? And, and, and they're like, oh, why you, why you always have to press me on that? And, and you're going, man, why am I talking to my middle schooler about hygiene right before they go to school? Well, because some middle schoolers, not you guys. You, I was sitting back there with you guys. You guys are hygienically perfect. <laughs> Lots of other ones aren't, right? You guys know that. You might, you might look at that and you, and you get into that kind of argument And then they get out and they go on their bus and you go upstairs and you feel their toothbrush and it's dry. And you're going, now I'm dealing with a kid that doesn't believe in hygiene and lies to me. And what do we conclude there? We don't conclude what's wrong with my kid. You conclude what's wrong with me as a parent. And so now you've just been bucked off the horse again. And you're going, how am I going to unearth this thing? You go to work and you're facing an employer or an employee or a friend or somebody that's there and they're frustrating you. And you're just going, oh, this drives me nuts. Just get me home. And you come home and you're so tired from it all that you just say, I'm just going to disengage from anybody and everybody. I'm going to turn on Batch in Paradise. I'm going to watch that for a little while. I'll go to bed. And tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to unearth this thing as it is in heaven. See, we have that great uh, desire to to try. And then we know we get hit. We get hit with what, what we call the opposition, with the enemy, with the world that presses in against you from what you wanting to do, to do it. We think about we, we call it giants sometimes in our life. We look back at that Old Testament story of David and Goliath, where David this kid comes out against the giant Goliath and he picks up five little stones out of the creek and one of those stones he picks up and he puts into his slingshot and he hits the giant right between the eyeballs and the giant falls. And so we look at that and say, see, we can conquer our giants. We can conquer the things that are coming up against us because God's gonna give us the power and the courage to do so. And so we look at something like that and we say, These are giants. There's there's the things that eat away at us from wanting to do it, and then there's giants that eat away at us. There's the giants of fear and of envy and of frustration and of sadness and of impatience, and these giants that come in our way. We want so badly to unearth this thing as it is in heaven, but the giants will knock us down, and we say, I cannot beat the giants. Well, what we want to do, Maurice and I were talking about this for this series, and what we want to do is we want to talk about what might be our greatest weapon against the Giants. That we might talk about what, of those five smooth stones, what's the one that he picked that was the perfect one? We want to talk about the greatest thing we can do to help knock those over and so that we truly can unearth this thing in our life. You ready for what that is? It's gratitude. It's gratitude. And you're going, gratitude, come on. Give me something strong. Give me, give me, it's his presence. Give me, it's his power. Give me, it's his courage. Don't give me gratitude. If I'm sitting there and Marie said that, I'd be going, oh, yeah, that's great. Mo. Well, you just wanted to talk about being thankful. And so you put it in there. It, could gratitude actually be the, the strongest weapon we've got? I've always looked at gratitude as wimpy. I, when we were in, when I was in college and I was formed, my faith was being formed in me and I'd come to our college ministry, we started singing songs and, and the, the songs that we'd sing, I was not a song singer, you know, I, I was not, I always skipped that part and just wanted to hear what Denny Radberg would say as our, as our director of our college ministry. Because, you know, someone would go up there back then with a guitar and an overhead transparency and they'd start singing, as the deer pants for the water. And I'm like, What? What does that have to do with anything? But then you start listening to the words and you start going, man, this is sinking right up my soul and and, and worship music. For some of you might sit here and just go, I don't sing those songs. Someone else does, I don't sing them. Let them continue to sit on your heart. You'll eventually start singing them just like I started doing. But I loved the songs about God's power. And I loved the song about his presence. And I'd love, I'd sing those going, yes, because I want to go face this battle at the University of Washington. And I want to grow in my faith there. But then we'd sing other songs. We sang a song. What was, how did the song start? It started with, Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Do you guys know it? And now let the weak say I am strong and the poor say I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Come on, come on. Hey, hey, hey. You guys clapped a lot louder for Mo when he sang a couple of weeks ago. Are you saying that Mo is just a better singer than me? What are you saying? I'm saying that song sounded wimpy back then. I felt like I was back in my Catholic going up with the white altar boy robe on. Give thanks with a grateful heart. That's the way it felt. But let me tell you, And let me let us talk to you over these next four weeks that gratitude actually might be the strongest thing we've got, because with gratitude, it will point us to God's courage that He gives to us. Within gratitude, we it will point us to His power. It'll point us to His presence. We're going to talk through that today and realize that while well, we might look at that stone as one that would have just ricocheted off of, of, of uh, Goliath, instead that's the one that hit him between the eyes. Let's talk through that today and over these next four weeks, okay? Let's get on that journey together. Father, we pray that you would bless this time and the words that, that, that you have given me to share, the scripture that, you've had us, that you're have that you going to have us look at, um, even if someone did not expect scripture to speak to him. Speak to him, Lord. I know that your scripture can, and it's our choice to whether or not we want to eat or not. And so we're in this pasture, and we will choose to eat of your food today. God, speak to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do, you guys. Uh, we're going to go back to, a, to an experience that Jesus had. Um, it's, it's, I have had a lot of fun actually looking at it because it's opened my eyes in a totally new way to this experience that he had. Here's what's happening. Luke, the doctor, is writing in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four books that talk about the life of Jesus. Luke was a doctor that gave a lot of specifics, okay? So Luke is writing in chapter 16 uh, uh, in, his, in his Gospel, and he is saying there, he's saying, man, here's the repercussions of social injustice. So he's talking about some of the things that we just talked about the week before, last week. I mean, it's, 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 this is where you see that that's a gospel message. So he's talking about that at the end of, of Luke 16. At the beginning of 17, so he's talking about the repercussions of social injustice. He's talking about what this looks like to to unearth this thing. At the beginning of 17, he says this. Jesus says to his disciples, it's inevitable that there should be pitfalls. If you want to unearth this thing, it's inevitable that there will be pitfalls. It's inevitable that you're going to run into giants. It's inevitable that you could get bucked off the horse pretty easily. It's inevitable that you will want to do it and you'll grit your teeth to do it. But the reality is you're gonna hit some opposition and it could easily throw you off. So that's the beginning of chapter 17 of Luke. Now, just 10 verses later, in verse 11 of Luke 17, he has this experience with these guys. And I don't think it's coincidence that he's talked about those things and then he has this experience. Listen to what it says. In the course of his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus crossed the boundary between Samaria and Galilee and as he was approaching a village, ten lepers met him. So ten guys with all these sores all over their bodies and their hands and their arms and their face and their legs. These ten guys that have been shunned have been, put, have been told to stay outside the city. The, the, the people with leprosy, they were not allowed in the city, within the city. They had to stay outside. They believed that it was extremely contagious. They didn't want it. It looked awful. And so they pressed them to the margins. Okay. They pressed them outside the city gates. It says this. As he came to these 10 lepers, they kept their distance. Okay. But they shouted, Jesus, master, have pity on us. They yelled that out to him because because they, they couldn't get that close. So they're yelling that to Jesus. Now, This next verse is partly why we have to slow down when we're reading scripture and study it a little bit more. Because if you just read the next verse, you you would conclude something different than what actually happened. Jesus' response to him was, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, if we were reading this and we weren't studying it, what would we conclude from that? Wouldn't we conclude that Jesus is going, I don't have time for you. I got to do my thing. We're going to Jerusalem right now. Go talk to the priests about it. That's not something I'm going to bother with. You guys are out there in the margins. I don't know. go talk to the priests about it. Quit bothering me with it. We could have concluded that from this, but when you study it a little bit more, you start to see that no, the law at the time was that if you had leprosy or if you were sick like this and you were shunned to outside of the city gates, if for some reason, miraculous or not, if you started to find that you were you were starting to heal from that. You had to go to the priests and get them to check on you to make sure that you were healed. And if you were healed, then they gave you permission to come back into the city. So when he's saying to them, go talk to the priests, there's something implied there. He's saying, by the time you get there, you're going to be healed. Go talk to the priests. They're going to check you out. You're not going to have leprosy anymore. And so that... These guys turned around and left Jesus, and they were going towards the priests. And as they were going, it says, as it happened, that as they went on their way, they were cured. So as they're going, this leprosy that is, has, has dominated their life, has took them outside of any social, so, social gathering, social um, um, group of people, they, they had to go on their own. They have all this leprosy and, the, and that leprosy is starting to heal and they're looking at it in their hands. They're seeing it. They're going, what? you could picture one of them going, what in the world's going on? And he looks over at somebody else and he's going, your face, man, it's, it's, it doesn't show it anymore. And so these 10 guys are, being healed as they're walking towards the priest. Now, as it does that, it says, it says one of their number, when they saw that he was cured, turned around. One of them did. One of them said to him, hey guys, um, I gotta get... You keep going. I'll meet you later on in the city. We'll have a beer together. We're going to toast this. This is unbelievable. But right now, I'm going to go this way. You guys keep on going. He goes the other way. And, he says, and it says, he, and he praised God at the top of his voice and then fell on his face before Jesus and thanked him. This man was a Samaritan. And at this Jesus remarks. so he comes back and he thanks Jesus. And at this Jesus remarks, weren't there 10 men healed? Where are the other nine? Is nobody going to turn and praise God for what he has done except this stranger? And then he said to the man, stand up now and go on your way. It's your faith that has made you well. All right, so, so let's unpack this a little bit more. What in the world's happening here? Let's look at those nine. Those nine are healed, and, and, and what do they do? They just keep right on going. Why didn't they come back and thank Jesus like, like that one leper did? Why didn't they? Well, there's all kinds of reasons why they might not have. They, maybe one of them said, you owed me. God, you owed me. I've had a life of this, and I finally got healed of it. You owed me. Maybe one of them wanted to take the credit for it, and it's because of something I did instead of something God did. Maybe one of them said it was all coincidence. Maybe one of them just forgot to go thank Jesus. Maybe one of them heard the words of Jesus but concluded this is just straight plain luck. Or maybe one just felt like he didn't need to because God doesn't need my thanks. See, before we get all judgy on these nine, we gotta remember this is what we do every single day. Every day, God is placing blessing on us. Every day, God is placing his His gifts on us. And most of the time we miss it. And we conclude that it must be something else. I mean, for Jackie and I, one of the things that we, I, we're looking at right now is the Boulder County Foundation is giving dollars for those that have lost their homes in the fire. And so they're giving dollars to those for, for, uh, for us. And so we're looking at that and we're going, OK, now we got to apply for it and then we got to get it. And when we get it, what's our, my first thought? Well, yeah, you got to give that. People gave that to you so you'd give it to the the victims of the fire and so you better give it. And is that all it is? Or am I also going to go, and Lord, thank you. Thank you for that gift that you just gave to us that we had no idea was coming our way, but it has and it's helping us with the difference between what our insurance has given us and how much it's going to cost to rebuild a home. Are we actually really coming to that point of thanks with anything, with everything in our life? Why is this so important that Jesus presses it in on this guy that he says, he says, man, you've done it right. Why is this so important? Is it because he's just trying to teach this guy a lesson that giving thanks is a good thing you should be doing with each other? Maybe a little bit of that. Is it because Jesus needs it? He needs our thanks? I don't, I don't think he needs our thanks for what he's doing. But I tell you what, I think what he's doing there is he's looking at the very essence of gratitude and ingratitude. See, with gratitude, it's saying to the person that has given, I see you. When you say thank you to somebody, you're saying, I see you and I see what you've done for me. That's gratitude. Ingratitude is saying, I don't see you. (laughs) I get it. I I got it and I move on. And maybe it was luck. Maybe it's something else. I don't see you. Gratitude saying I see you, ingratitude saying I don't see you. It's why when when I was a kid and my great grandma gave me this ugly shirt and I opened it up and and I I look at it, it's why my dad flicks me in the ear. Why does my dad flick me in the ear? Because he's saying, go talk to Gigi. Go tell her thank you. Go tell her you see her. Go tell her that you're appreciative of what she's done, even though that's a hideous shirt. Go tell her that you see her. And because and, 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 if you don't and you just move on to something else, what's Gigi thinking sitting there? She's just going, oh, all right. He, he doesn't, I don't even know if he knows who gave that to him. Gratitude says I see you. Ingratitude says I don't. And what Jesus is saying to this guy is you coming back to say thank you is saying, I see you, Lord. I see what you are doing. And look, and I love what he says it, what he says to him. He says, set, he says, and he said to the man, stand up now and go on your fa- go on your way. It's your faith that has made you well. See, again, if we hurry through that, we look at that and we say, he's saying your faith is what healed you of leprosy. But that doesn't make sense. All 10 of them were healed of leprosy. So all of them were healed. So it wasn't your faith that healed you of leprosy. It was your faith that did something else. your your faith has made you well, you have set your heart right. You have set your mind right. You see God at work. And when you see God at work, you, you will see his presence. When you see God at work, you will feel his power. When you see God at work, you will lean on his courage and you will be able to face the giants. Your gratitude, your faith has made you well. You're ready. You can see it unearth this thing. You see the Lord at work and that's what's going to help you to unearth this thing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to this guy. That's why it's so important that we lead with gratitude. Let's look at it this way. If you're in the middle of a battle back in ancient times and you finish that battle and you walk back to the castle and you see the person at the top, what's that, what, the, what do you hope that person at the top is going to say? Open the gates so you can get into the castle. Jesus is saying, man, when you express gratitude, you are opening the gates to something. You're opening the gates to his grace. You're gonna get ready. His grace is flowing. You're opening the gates to his grace. You're you're getting to see what God is up to. Now, now when we say that, we got it. We have to look at that word grace. We always throw that word out there all the time in, in, in church. But what really is grace? Well, let's look at Old Testament and New Testament with that. In the Old Testament, there's a word, it's a fun word to say. It's, it's in Hebrew. It's chen, okay? Chen is grace in Hebrew because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament is written in Greek. And so chen, okay? Hen almost, it's like, it's like you're spitting on somebody. Chen, okay? Everyone do that, but try not to give COVID to the person next to you. Chen, chen, okay? Chen, that is the word for grace in the Old Testament. You know what that word literally means? It's a gift of favor motivated by delight. Chen is a gift of favor motivated by delight. So for example, when you look in Esther, Esther, Esther goes to the king to plead for her people because her people are, are, are scheduled to be destroyed, the Jewish people. She goes to the king and she asks the king for grace. And because the king delights in Esther, the king grants that Chen and his people, the people are saved. Forty times in the Psalms, the people that are writing those Psalms are asking for hen. Every time you see it in the Old Testament, they're asking for grace. They're asking for a gift of favor motivated by delight. Throughout the Old Testament, when you read that word, that's what it is. It's a gift from God. Now, in the New Testament, that word is charis, okay? And so in the New Testament, it's a a gracious gift, charis, which is the same thing, a gift of favor motivated by delight. So whenever you see grace in the New Testament, you got to think the same thing. It's charis, that's the Greek word for it. And it's, again, a gift of favor motivated by delight. This is why so many times grace is linked with the cross. Grace is linked with our salvation because it's the greatest single gift that God has ever given, the gift of life for all of us. This is, what, this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, it is, remember, by grace, a gift of favor motivated by delight and not by achievement, that you are saved and has lifted us right out of the old life to take our place with him in Christ in the heavens. Thus he shows for all time the tremendous generosity of that gift of favor motivated by delight and kindness he has expressed towards us in Christ Jesus. It was nothing you could do or do or to achieve it it was God's gift to you. That's God's grace. It's his gift of, of delight for us. Now I want to give you one more word it was a Hebrew word. It was actually a Hebrew song that they would sing in ancient times. That song was, was a song. It was called Daenu. And Daenu was a song that, that, that basically said, the Hebrew words basically said, it would have been enough. The Hebrew people would sing this song at Passover and they're saying, it would have been enough for you to have gotten us out of Egypt and, and, and separated the sea so that we could get across. That would have been enough. But you did even more. It would have been enough for you to to, to deliver us out of Egypt and into the promised land. That would have been enough, but you kept giving more. It would have been enough for you to rain food down from heaven, but you kept giving us more. It would have been enough for you to forgive us for, for building the golden calf, but you gave us more. And so they would sing this song, it would have been enough. And we can sing that every single day, you guys. It would have been enough for you to give us eternal life. It would have been enough for that grace. But you give us more. You give me a breath to breathe this morning. It would have been enough to give me a breath to breathe, but you give me a, a roof over my head. Yeah, but that's not the roof that I had a year ago, and it's a rental, and it's not the house that I love. But you've given that to me, and that's your grace That's your gift with favor because you delight in me. That would have been enough, but you give me children. Even if they stink, you give me children. And you go, that is God's grace. It's his gift. And that would have been enough, but you give me a car to drive. Even if it's the check engine lights on every day, the car to drive to get me to work. And even if there's struggle at work, you give me that. That would have been enough. See, we start to see that grace isn't isn't just one thing. Grace is everything. I love what what Francis Chan says about this. And if you've ever listened to that pastor preach, he's very unique in the way he does it. He just said, look, he says, God didn't just give us the ability to eat. That would have been enough to just eat. But he said he didn't make us like plants. Where, where you, you eat through your roots and, and so you're walking and you're gaining nu- nutrients from walking. It's, you're eating through your feet. He says he gave us a mouth and he gave us taste buds and he gave us saliva to enjoy it. It would have been enough just to, to make me, to give me healthy food to eat. But you give me enjoyment in eating it. I, I love that. I, I, started, I had Molly go grab me my favorite single food in all of the world, a sausage and egg McMuffin. Woo! It would have been enough, Lord, to give me an egg. It would have been enough to, to give me a, 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 a yogurt. But you give me... Woo! The egg and the sausage, the perfect butter that gets into this McMuffin. Oh all right, I digress. It would have been enough, but God continues to show great delight in the gifts that he has given us. Can you imagine, by the way, if you were sitting there at a restaurant and you just prayed for your food and you started thinking of it this way? Lord, thank you for this food and for my taste buds. Thank you for Um, the saliva that I have and for this sausage and egg McMuffin. I mean, can you imagine what your waiter would be doing? What in the world? You weird people. Um, It says in James 1, 16 and 17, it says, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heaven. When we start to see God's great gift, his grace to us his favor that has been that is put on us every single day at all hours of the day when you start to see that and you respond with gratitude to that you are starting to say to god i see you i see you with the simplest of things i see you and what does that do impressing us and helping us when the giants of, of fear and the giants of impatience and the giants of frustration, when the giants are coming at us, when we say, God, I see you. I see you in every single thing that you're doing that is a gift of favor to me. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, my grace your gift of favor motivated by delight is sufficient for us. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When you see it, you will see my power. You will see my presence. You will see my courage. You'll start to see purpose because you're seeing me. In Psalm 100, it says, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. It says, Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing, with joy. See, these are the gifts of favor given with great delight. Acknowledge the Lord is God. He's made us, and we're his, and we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates. See, the floodgates come down. Enter his gates of his grace with great thanksgiving. Go into his courts, walk into the floodgates of his grace with praise. I see you. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. He's faithful. That's the rock that we have to slay the giant because that enters us into his great gifts that he's he's giving to us every single day. Now that attitude is developed. It's not something that we have naturally coming to us. You ask any five-year-old, they're not going to their parents going, hey dad, I just think you are really great and thank you for all that you're doing for me. Thank you for going to work and thank you for the the food that you're putting on the table. Five-year-olds aren't saying that. Shoot, my five-year-old came to me and says, dad, you're a good dad, not a great dad. And I, and I said, what are you talking about? And Abby said, he said, well, you're a good dad, because a great, you, you, sometimes you just ask us to do things for you and we just feel like we're always serving you, getting you water and all that stuff. And so you're a good dad, not a great dad. Five-year-olds don't get it. It doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to develop. And maybe the reminder of developing it is when you feel like the giants are winning. When that giant of fear is winning, Maybe that's a reminder. I can't just grit my teeth against the giant. I have to do something else. I got to take out this rock that is gratitude and just start to see it. God, I see what you're doing. And I'm, and I'm seeing your presence in the very littlest of things. When Jackie and I think about the, 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 if we did this for two months, if we did this right now for the next two months, we know these next two months are not gonna be easy. They're not easy for anybody that has lost their house in a fire and a lot of other people too. These next two months are gonna be really difficult. You're gonna see Christmas lights and, and you know that the last time you saw them, they melted. You're gonna see Christmas gifts, you're gonna get Christmas gifts and you go, all those were burned. You're gonna get a Christmas tree and just go, I used to love the Christmas tree that we had up. And so it's gonna be, be hard and we're gonna face those giants coming the other way. But that's where, if we were going to do this over these next two months, we'd be saying, all right, let's pull out that stone that is gratitude. Let's thank the Lord for, for Christy and Heather and the, and the house that we have to live in right now. Let's thank the Lord for our children and, and, and that God has given them to us. Let's thank the Lord for the resources to be able to buy some new lights and put them on a house, even if it's not our permanent house. And I believe that in January, we'd look back at this and not slay the giants because we gritted our teeth to slay the giants, but we'd slay the giants because we entered into this season, just saying, I am going to keep my eyes open to the grace of God and his great gifts given with favor because he delights in us. As we go through this next four weeks and we face the giants and Maurice and and Quincy and I will keep talking through some more of the giants that tend to to get us get in the way of of what we want to do. As we talk through some of those giants, come with us on this journey and get and, and, and recognize in the midst of it that gratitude says, I see you. Let's be like that leper that comes back to Jesus and says, I see you. And I thank you. And Jesus looks back at him and says, you're on the right track. Father, we pray that in this, um, in, in, you give us the words, the aspirational words of on earth this thing. And there's so many times that we want to, but man, those giants feel like they just beat us up. And we get bucked off that horse so often. I pray, Lord, that you would give us new eyes to see your grace is upon grace is upon grace. That every good and perfect gift comes from you and you are giving them to us constantly because you delight in us. Help us to see your work and see you so that we can face the giants and we can face them with the courage that comes from you that we see you. We see your presence, we see your power and we step forward because we see you at work. God, help us to lead with an attitude of gratitude. It's in your name we pray, amen.